All right, good morning. It's great to see you here this morning. I'm Norm Byers. I know you just sat down and you're all comfy. I'm going to have you stand up, please. Uh, we're going to read uh, this morning's uh, scripture reading. It, by the way, it's found in the Journey Bible on page 1304. If you see one of those around you, you can grab that. Or it'll be up on the screen uh, here. It's on page of, uh, 1304. I'm going to read uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. The Gospel of Mark. Now the Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So we watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is God's Word. You can be seated. February 14, 1994 is the day it happened. Yes, Valentine's Day 30 years ago was the point in time when I went all in and proposed marriage to Brenda Woodhams. That was her name. It's now Brenda Byers. And I have a picture to prove it or to show it. And there it is. We talked about the hair and then the not having hair. There it is. I did it on Valentine's Day because I figured Brenda would be unsuspecting. I did a little reverse psychology on her. And I was right. She would later say, I thought Valentine's Day was too obvious. So I pulled it off. I've pulled many off over the years. But anyway, I went for it. And I expressed my enduring love for Brenda, to Brenda, in a moment of singular devotion. 
That idea, a moment of singular devotion, may be kind of unfamiliar language to you. So let me take a moment and explain. A moment of singular devotion is an instance or an occasion of intense and undivided commitment or loyalty to a particular person. That moment or occasion signifies wholehearted devotion to that person. And that engagement ring, it was an expression of love. It spoke my love to her. You know, that ring, it represented the largest gift I'd ever given anyone. (laughs) It was more than words. It was something that I gave. It was something that I did. And, you know, I did it not expecting Brenda to, like, give me a set of golf clubs or a tennis racket or something like that. I, I gave it to express my love. And in a moment of singular dedication, the woman here is at this dinner party and she expresses her love and devotion to Jesus Christ. It's a moment of shocking self-sacrifice. And considering who Jesus is, who we believe Him to be, who we teach Him to be, that He is God, it was an act of worship. It was an act of putting Jesus in the highest place, in His rightful place. And so here's our main point today. We want to be challenged today, and this is the challenge for today. And it's this, express your love for Christ, not only in words, but in moments of singular dedication. We're going to go verse by verse uh, through this passage, this this episode, this um, story of this woman. We're going to go through it verse by verse. And then we'll end up with just uh, some thinking about how can we grow in this area? How can we grow in expressing our love, our loving devotion uh, to Jesus Christ? So it starts off there where I'm going to go verse 3 and it's kind of lays out the setting of sort of the context here. He was, he was in Bethany and I have a little map for you to just to show you contextually where Bethany is at. Um, You might be able to see it way down in the right lower corner, Bethany. uh, And then the temple, you see where the temple is up there? Uh, That's where the Temple Mount is at. Uh, The Garden of Gethsemane, a little bit north of the temple. And uh, Jesus will spend some time there. And kind of this, in between the Garden of Gethsemane and Bethany is the Mount of Olives. And uh, from there, uh, Jesus will be there soon and will look out on the city, the ancient city, and see it. And so it's about two miles uh, from the temple area. Just an easy little walk, just kind of around the mountain uh, to um, where the Passover will be taken and the different things that will happen there as we lead up to Jesus' crucifixion. And he's eating a meal He's eating a meal at Simon the leper's house. It's kind of an interesting anecdote there. Um, There's a connection here to leprosy. Leprosy brought fear to people in the ancient times, right? 
Uh, it was something that made them ceremonially unclean, so they could not uh, worship, come together for worship. Um, it made them a social outcast. They were to stay away. Now, perhaps Jesus had healed Simon. We don't know that. It, it's uh, from, from tradition, there's some things out there, but from scriptural, we don't know. Uh, but we do know this. We know that Jesus gladly associates with Simon the leper. We know that. And we find him reclining at the table. That I forgot to put some chairs up here. I was going to put some chairs up here and lay down because that's how they would eat. They would recline. They would be laying down like with their elbow like this. And I think I'd get heartburn you know, if I did that. You know, I need to kind of have that up, up and down thing going. Uh, but they, they would lay around and, and, and uh, recline while they were eating. And so um, it, it was not fast food. It was not, you know, hey, here's your burger from McDonald's. It was like slow and intimate thing. And so, you know, if you're unfamiliar with Jesus, if you're watching today or you're here this morning and you're unfamiliar with Jesus, I, I just want to tell you that's just a little, just a little idea who Jesus is. And who Jesus could be for you. If you're not familiar with him, I just want you to know that no matter what you've been through, no matter the choices you've made, Jesus is always there and he is ready for you. He is ready to take time with you, to recline with you. Uh, so, and just a warning if you're at that point where you are needy and you're broken. You're ready for Christ. Just just be aware of this. He won't leave you where you are. He won't leave you. He will accept you. He will welcome you in. But He won't leave you where you are. So you'll need to be ready for that. And then there's this anointing. uh, This moment in time. uh, This expression that says so much. This thing that this woman does to, to speak love. A woman comes with an alabaster flask from the other context because this repeats in the other, uh, one of the other synoptic gospels, which is Matthew and then in John, one of the other gospels. So we can actually see the story in a couple other places to draw things out. It's, it's Mary, but in this passage it, it's not identified, so we're just going to go with a woman. Um, so... She brings this alabaster flask, and I've got a picture of one just to give you an idea. It was a container associated with craftsmanship and luxury. It was an, an elegant kind of container. It had, like this one, it had a long neck like that, and, and translucent, so that you could actually see how much is in there. You know, you could see how much was in there. And it's quite possibly a family heirloom. Something very valuable. And this one contained, it, it says, nard. And you might go, what is nard? That's, that sounds interesting. Uh, nard, it, it, it was a, a valuable plant that um, the root of it had oil. And so this oil would be extracted from the plant. And in a tra- traditionally, it was used medicinally um, and... Uh, Perfumery is another way that it was used. It's, it was very aromatic, and it had calming properties for people. 
So if they were suffering, it could be applied. And uh, this was not watered down. It says it was pure nard. It wasn't diluted. It wasn't, it was unadulterated. It hadn't been tampered with. And very costly, very costly, a year's wages worth of nard, pure nard, in this alabaster uh, jar. And this is what the woman does. She breaks the alabaster jar and she pours out the ointment on Jesus' head. This is that moment of singular dedication to Christ. She chooses the, the finality of breaking this expensive jar and emptying these expensive contents on his head. And what she's doing is she's worshiping Jesus. She's putting him in his rightful uh, place. So, verse 4, there were some reactions to this. Let's let's go to the first one. Um, Some of those present, some of those present, uh, we'll read it again, were saying indignantly, you know, why this waste? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her. There were some people there that were at the dinner, they were watching, what have you, and they were offended by this. They, and it, it's kind of the language here is they were looking at someone with contempt. Like, what are you, stupid? <laughs> you know, like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And, and they were angered. By this misuse, they saw as a misuse, misuse of resources, resources that could have been used um, way more wisely. They could have been used for almsgiving. Almsgiving, of course, was like giving to the poor, to help the poor, to give mercy to the poor. And they are outraged by this. And so what do they do? They scold her. They, They reprimand her. You know, this shouldn't have been wasted. This should have been used wisely. This was a resource that was um, just kind of thrown away. And then there's the response of Jesus, verse 6. Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. And Jesus goes on to say, the poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. You will not always have me present with you in this way. And so he says, stop. He says, leave her alone. Uh, When you go back to the original language, he literally says this, why do you make her life hard? (laughs) Why are you toiling her? Why are you making it hard uh, for her when she is trying to express something? When she is trying to express her love, her devotion, her dedication, her love to Jesus. She did what she could. That's what it says. She did what she could. Hmm. She did what she could to express her loving devotion to Christ. And Jesus, he is still teaching here, even though it sounds a little different. He's still teaching, do good for the poor. He's not saying, no, don't ever do good for the poor. 
Uh, we need to care appropriately for the poor. But there is uh, no, you kind of read between the lines, there's no coming utopia uh, in our time to eradicate poverty. It's not ever going to be eradicated in our time. You will always have the poor with you, he says. But Jesus is also saying, in a few days, I will not be with you in the way that I am now. And this special moment, this occasion of dedication is honoring. How can you express moments of singular devotion to Christ, for Christ? How can you do that? How could you grow in that? I know not everyone here is a follower of Jesus, and so uh, be patient with us here this morning. I'm really going to talk to the followers of Christ here. How do we do that? How do we make that happen? How can we have that special time with Christ? Um, Jesus is not here now in the way he was then. He came down from heaven, Scripture tells us. He set aside his position of heaven to come into our space. It says he pitched his tent among us and, and came and lived here and took on humanity in that sense. And then he is now not here in that sense. He is awaiting the day when he will return. We talked about that last week. Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, he will right every wrong. And those who are in him and follow him, they will have full soul fulfillment in him. And it will be an amazing thing. He is not here present now in the sense that he was, but we can still express our love in moments of devotion to him. And it's sort of like this. I was thinking about how does this work? It's like when someone passes away and there's a funeral... And many times we'll give a gift in loving memory of someone that we loved so much and cared about, right? And we're not doing it for any other reason, just to express our love for them. And so I want to walk through three principles for expressing devotion to Christ in our time. The first one is this, and it's beware, beware of giving to get. This is the first principle. Be aware of it. Beware of your motives. What are my motives? Why am I giving? What's going on in here in my mind? One of the key things that undermines our loving devotion to Christ is when we give transactionally. Do you know what I mean? Just nod your head if you know what I mean. Transactionally. <laughs> I mean, we live in a day, that's the way things work. That's the way our economy works, you know. We transact, right? And when we bring that into relationships, it becomes quite problematic. The technical term is quid pro quo. Have you heard of that? Quid pro quo. It's Latin, it means something for something. We give something to get something. Do you know what I'm saying? I give you something, I expect something in return. Uh, you know, a real good example, it's an election year, so I'm just going to jump in and do it. A business person gives a financial gift to a politician with the expectation of what? Receiving nothing in return? No. <laughs> 
receiving maybe some kind of favor, some kind of audience with the politician, uh, influence of some kind. And, you know, another way, in other places it's called pay to play. You, you give something and now you can play ball with the big boys. Um, I heard this example just this week. Someone was telling me about a situation, not in our area here, but uh, where a person became a foster parent not to help vulnerable children, not to help the kids that need that help, but to bank the payouts. Okay? And that's giving to get. We're giving something because we want to get something. And it's not an expression of devotion. It's self-focused. We're, asking, we're always asking the question, am I getting value here? And guess what? When we don't think we are getting value, what happens? Somebody help me. We go somewhere else. If your marriage is built on that, you're headed for trouble. If the way you look at your kids is built on that, what they do for you, you're headed for trouble. If the church you go to, it's built on how good the sermon is, because sometimes it's not that good. (laughs) Or how the music is. Or whatever they do, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And if your relationship with God is built on getting, you're in trouble. Okay? At that time, the religious leaders, this is something we looked at, and I think this story here is a contrast to the story of the woman, the widow's mite, that story that we looked at a few weeks ago. We often look at that, here's the example of giving. It's really not. It's more of what was going on in that time. The religious leaders had devised a system to teach people to give in order to get. So they designed this big funnel system with brass and you came in and you gave and you threw your coins in there and it clanked. And then everybody looked like, oh, wow, they gave a lot. And so it was like the louder the clank, the bigger the gift and the more people looked. And so uh, they had a system there uh, that was undermining God's way. God's way to express our giving and why we give our giving. Okay, uh, the prodigal son is a, a story from Scripture, um, and uh, if you remember the story, you know there's the son who goes off and does his thing. Remember, then he comes back. That's kind of what we think of. But do you remember there was an elder son, the eldest son? He stayed. Do you remember that? He stayed with uh, his father. And but we find out later in the story, and many believe this is really one of the main points of the story is the eldest son stayed, not because he loved the father, but because he wanted the stuff of the father. That's why he stayed. It wasn't that he was like, you know, you know, self-righteously better than the other brother who actually went away and was maybe more authentic and honest. Not to say that was right either. But he wanted the things of the father. And sometimes people come to church and they're like, you know, I'm going to give, yeah, I'll give some money, you know, to God and, and we're expecting a bigger return. We're like, okay, if I do this, I've heard that I'll get more money back or we do some other thing. And, um, if we're giving to get, it corrupts you. It makes you selfish. 
It makes you self-focused. It undermines your love. It undermines your devotion. And we need to correct the thinking behind it or else. I mean this from the bottom of my heart, or else. And we see that right in the story. We see the contrast here. Let's go uh, to verse 10. That after seeing this, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, he gets up from the table and he goes to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. Judas had spent three years with Christ. He had seen the incredible things that Christ had done. He'd heard the teaching. And he gets up from the table and he goes to the chief priests and they were delighted. They were delighted and they promised to give him money. So we watched for an opportunity to hand him over. We need to be aware of this. For those of you that follow Christ, we need to be aware of our hearts and what is going on in here. Why are we giving? Are we giving to express devotion? Are we giving to get? We need to train ourselves in our greatest example of this. Who's our greatest example of giving to express love? Somebody say it. It's always the right answer at church, right? Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is the greatest example. Jesus came into our space. He died in our place. And He rose again and is coming again for us. He's the greatest example. The the woman is not the greatest example. She's an example. Jesus Christ is the greatest example. He demonstrated and lived the gospel for you and I. So, uh, first principle we got to make sure that we're not giving to get, but giving to express love. Secondly here, second principle, regularly choose to self-sacrifice for Christ. Regularly choose it. you got to choose it. Uh, Mark 14, 6 says, uh, Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? And then it says, He says, She has done a beautiful thing to me. She did something. She chose to do something. This was of her own will. She wasn't forced to do it. You know, and we see this in uh, the book of Acts chapter 2, the early church and how they gave and did all these wonderful things for one another. And some people say, that's communism right there. And it's like, no, it's not. It was a choice. They choose to do that. And she chose self-sacrifice. And so this is something you have to choose. No one can do it for you. Self-sacrifice is a choice that you must make. You must decide, how am I going to dedicate myself to Christ in this moment, in this special time right now? How am I going to do it? The woman gave up her collection of pure nard, you know, that oil from the root. She gave it up. Something she saved, something that she carefully developed over time. My question, what is your nard? We talked about this in the teaching meeting. Let's say it that way. What is your nard? Seriously though, what is your nard? You know, uh, what's the thing that means a lot to you that you're holding on to? You know, uh, something that maybe you could open up your hands with in a moment of singular dedication to Christ. What is it? Uh, 
Let me give some kind of big examples that I've seen, and then, then we'll talk about some maybe still great ones, but maybe a little more doable for you. I don't know. Um, a family chooses to uproot, move to a foreign land to serve incarcerated teens. Wow. Here's another one. A friend walking with someone who is in hospice care for many weeks, coming daily, giving physical and emotional support for that person and those, the children of those, that person. Here's another one. Uh, deciding to, uh, you know, we've saved up for our yearly vacation and then deciding to give up that money to help fund a worship center so that people can know Christ better. Those are just some examples that I have seen in the last months that are points of dedication, moments of significant dedication to express love for Christ. Those may seem big. Here's some smaller, singular dedications. Maybe it's this. Coming to church, not for you. Like coming today, not for you, not what you're going to get today, but for Christ. Have you ever thought of it that way, coming to church? Like coming to church for Christ, not for me. Like instead of, oh, did I hear a good sermon or was it a good music, you know, blah, blah, blah. Did people say hi to me, you know? Um, No, I'm going for Christ. I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to bless Christ. It's all about Him. I'm here for that. I'm not here to focus on what I get, but to give my worship to you, Lord. That might revolutionize your going to church. What do you think? Opening your home, your precious home. You've put a lot of money into it. The carpet's clean. You probably don't have carpet. You hardwood floor. You swept it. It looks nice, right? Opening up your home for a place for your group to meet. You know? And it's like, you're doing it in memory of Jesus. You're not doing it for anything else, to impress others. Oh, you have such a nice house. Or, oh, you're so generous in doing that. No, this is all to lift up Jesus, to show Him, to demonstrate, to express that I love Him. What about this? Opening your hands with your finances. Like, hey, a lot, we, we hold on to our finances very, very much, don't we, as a culture. And, and some of us, we need to open our hands. We, we should not just consume all of our finances. We should figure out a way to use them in a way that shows our devotion to Jesus Christ. So, I mean, one, one way is sitting down. It's, I guess it's not January anymore. It's barely February. But it's early in the year. Look at your budget. And, and make a financial commitment with part of your income. This is going because we love Jesus and we're doing it in memory of His name. Oh, what's that going to take? What does it take to choose? It takes self-leadership. I love that concept. I read about it a few years ago. It's like, you know, we talk about leading people, like, we're going here, and then it's like, 
Oh, but you know what? The hardest kind of leadership is leading yourself. Self-leadership. It's like you know you need to do something and you must lead yourself to do it. And here in this case, we're talking to say, you're choosing for the love of Jesus Christ. Because His love has so captivated you. You've experienced His love in your life and you want to show and express it to Him. Lastly, three, the third principle, realize good things happen when you give to express love. Realize good things happen when you give to express your love. Your love for Christ. It's like knocking over one domino, then a bunch of other ones fall. (laughs) It's like, whoa, that's kind of cool. Look at this. Look what it says here, verses 8 through 9. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And then secondly, truly I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I'm going to have Zach come up right now. Um, Two things here. Number one, I I don't believe she knew it. I think she had heard it because Jesus said it on several occasions. He predicted he was going to be crucified. He was going to die. He was going to be in the grave for three days and then rise again. So I think she... I think she heard that but i don't i don't really believe and i didn't see anybody out there scholarly that was like yeah she knew that it was just kind of she did this thing and then jesus says this because she did this this is what happened she's prepared me for my burial we don't know the good that happens when we express our devotion and love to christ and then this other thing, she is linked to the gospel forevermore. Her expression of love for Christ still speaks. Still speaks. I read this book a few years ago. It's like it's, It was talking about outliving yourself and how do you outlive yourself. It's by the things that you do that stand after you're gone. And this is... Her expression still speaks. It still speaks to us. I'm going to ask you to stand up here. We're going to take a few moments and meditate. And here, our next step is just a question. Our next step is just a question. And it's this. What can you do this week to express your devotion to Christ? What is one thing this week that you can do a moment of dedication, singular dedication to Christ. Dear God, I come before you uh, this morning and I petition you, God. I call upon you to work in our hearts. I petition you, God, to help us to see where Our giving is corrupt. Where we're not lined up with the way you gave, Jesus. You gave to us to express your love for us. May you work in our hearts. May we be sobered by the reality of it. May we turn to you and may we find forgiveness. And may we be transformed for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.